0: Well, if you have your Bibles with you, I invite you now to turn in them to the Gospel of John. And our text that we'll be focusing in on today will be chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. I hope that you will be a part today as we gather for the annual celebration. I'm looking forward to it. I know that there are a lot of things we'll be discussing, a lot of um, really good, encouraging reports, and really at the end of the day, it is our time to celebrate what the Lord has done and is doing among us. And so I, I hope you will come out this afternoon to be with us. The Gospel of John, verses chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. The Word of God says, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. Would you pray with me again? Oh, Father, we come before you today, and we want to be taken by the grace that you have shown us in Christ. Lord, I pray that there wouldn't be a single heart here today that would say, meh, at the wonder, the marvelous wonder of the grace of God that you have revealed to us in Christ, that none of us would be thinking about silly things, that none of us would be distracted, that none of us would be dull of hearing, that none of us would have calluses on our hearts. So, Lord, please, we pray Would you captivate us by your grace this morning, so that we might marvel and worship and resolve to follow you all of our days. You have done an amazing thing in Christ. And Lord, I want to stand up here this morning, nearly invisible. I pray that you would help me to point to Christ, not to myself. And I pray that you would make much of your name, much of your, the name of Jesus among us, so much so that your people are encouraged, that they are strengthened, that their faith is, will grow stronger, that their resolve to, to be faithful in suffering will be increased their desire to glorify you in their marriages and in their workplaces and in their families would grow. Oh, Lord, I pray you do this work through your unworthy servant for the good of your people and for the glory of your name. In Jesus I pray, amen. Wouldn't you like to see God? What does he look like? What does God look like? And why doesn't God just visibly show himself to us? What would it be like if he did? Would I be helped? Would my faith in him grow stronger? Would all the doubters in the world, if God just revealed himself, showed himself, would all the doubters in the world just turn to him and with trust and with worship? And why doesn't he just do that? Why doesn't he just do what Morgan Freeman in the movies has portrayed him as doing? Why doesn't he just come here and talk with us? Those are all good questions, and honestly, they're right at the heart of this passage. John chapter 1, verses 14 through 18, is about God's revelation to us in Christ and how it should affect us, how it has affected us, what effect it should have upon us. God has revealed himself to us in Christ, and instead of us being consumed in that blazing, white-hot, glorious display of God, we are instead given grace upon grace in this revelation. This is a passage about God's gracious self-revelation, and by the time we're done, I hope you will see how good that is for us, how good that is for you, how good that is for us. I think there are at least two at, at least two important Old Testament events or accounts that help us to really understand John 1, 14 through 18, two that I believe were on the mind of the author, John the son of Zebedee, when he penned this, and to which I believe he alludes here, and I'll show you that in a moment. One is the tabernacle in the Old Testament. And the other is a time when Moses requested to see God's glory. So if you will allow me to first put those two stories on the table for us, and then we will unpack our passage in light of those. So the first big backdrop of our passage is the time when Moses requested to see God's glory. It's recorded in Exodus 33. So I'll just read that, Exodus 33, verses 18 through 22. It says... Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all of my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face and live. You cannot see my face, I'm sorry. You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me, see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock while my glory passes by, and I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my, away my hand, and you will see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Note with me three things about that. First, Moses wanted to see God's glory, but there was an issue. God said, man will not see me and live. God says that, right? Man will not see me, cannot see me and live. Because of our sinfulness, we cannot see God and not be consumed. Second, God was gracious to Moses. God, it says, will be gracious to whom he will be gracious. And he allowed Moses to see some of him, not the full blazing face of God's glory, but he shielded his eyes and then allowed him to see a partial view of his glory. Third, note that God's glory and God's presence are used interchangeably in this. That is an, that's pretty important for us to understand. Moses' desire to see God, he, he desires to see God's glory. That's his request. Show me your glory. And in turn, God graciously reveals himself to Moses, at least in a partial way. And I think that helps us to understand what could be an abstract concept for us, the glory of God. I've said this before, but I think the simplest definition of the glory of God is the display of God. When we say that something or someone glorifies God, we mean that through that action or through that person, we see a display of God. We see a display of his attributes. We see the way he works in us. So loving my neighbor is glorifying God because that shows the world, it shows my neighbor, shows others, shows the world two things about God. It shows that he is a loving God, which is on display in my love for my neighbor And God is at work in me through His Spirit, allowing me to love, like creating love in me so that I might love my neighbor. So my love of neighbor is glorifying to God because it displays God. The glory of God is the display of God. And the clearest display of God is the very presence of God. So in this story, in that story I I read, when Moses desires to see God's glory, what he wants to see is is God. He wants to see God himself. And God, in his grace, allowed Moses in a veiled way to see him. So that's the first backdrop to the story. God's glory was revealed in a limited way to Moses. The second backdrop to this passage in the Gospel of John is the construction of the tabernacle. When Israel was in the wilderness, God instructed Moses to build a large portable tent or tabernacle, and God gave very specific instructions for its dimensions and how it was to be built. The tabernacle was to be the center point for the worship of God's people. It would would serve nearly an identical role as the temple would in Jerusalem later that would be built in Jerusalem. And I say nearly because it served one purpose that the temple did not. The tabernacle was portable, and the people had not yet settled in the land yet. The tabernacle could be moved. It was a tent. Israel wasn't settled, so God often instructed his people to travel, and the tabernacle could be moved. And I want you to have this tabernacle in mind as we unpack our passage. And to help with that, I will read the final words from the book of Exodus. This is a summary of when the tabernacle was completed. So Exodus 40, verses 34 through 38 say this, the cloud covered the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses, this is important, Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, they did not set out till that day was that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night. In the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Isn't that amazing? I mean, just to consider what was happening among the people of God. This big tabernacle right in the center of life for the Israelites. They would literally set up their camp around it. They would not move so long as the glory of the Lord was there settled on the tabernacle. Then it was taken up and they would move. God led them that way. Notably, it was the place where his glory would be revealed to his people. Again, his glory is the display of himself, and the clearest display of himself is his very presence. The tabernacle would be the place where God's presence would be revealed to his people. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. It's mentioned twice in that passage. And notably, Moses was not able to enter into the tent because of his glory. The white hot glory of God would have consumed him. As God had said, Man shall not see me and live. The most glorious, the the glory of God is the display of God. And the more glorious the glory, the more of God we see. And the glory that filled the tabernacle that prevented Moses from entering that tent was the very presence of God. It was God himself. This is, in part, what the tabernacle is all about. It's about God's presence with his people, God revealing himself to his people. Now, you may wonder, you may wonder, why do I think the tabernacle is connected to John 1, 14 through 18? Why would I think that that would be a good backdrop for us today as we try to understand our passage? And I'm really glad you asked. You're very thoughtful people. I think this is because I think this because there's a word in verse 14 that ties these two things together. But you can't see it in the English. Most English translations don't show this. The ESV says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. You can't see in that translation is that the word dwelt is a very unusual word for the word dwell. If you have a New American Standard Bible, there's a footnote there that gives it away so you can see it. You could translate this. It'd be awkward, but you could translate this. The Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. It is a word that means tent or tabernacle. With that word and with the Mention of Moses in verse 17. I think John wants his readers to have the tabernacle from the book of Exodus in mind as we read this passage. The tabernacle, the very place among the people of God where God's glory would be revealed to his people. He wants us to think about that. Helps us to understand that. Because that is what we have in Christ. Only way more. In Jesus, God Tabernacled among us. He pitched his tent among us. That's what the incarnation, God taking on flesh and becoming a man, is all about. The physical body of Christ was like a flesh and blood kind of tent for God himself, a flesh and blood tabernacle. And look with me at the three wonderful things John mentions about the glory that we see in Christ as he tabernacled among us in verse 14. It is glory as of the only Son from the Father, and it is glory that is full of grace and truth. So first, Jesus displayed God in a very exclusive way. Verse 14 says, this is the glory of the only Son from the Father, or you could say the one and only of the Father, or the only begotten of the Father. Different translations have that different ways. All of those try to capture John's term here, I think the point is the onliness of Christ and the onliness of the way that Christ displayed God. The glory that John and others saw in Christ was the glory of God himself. It was a unique way that God revealed himself to us in Christ. I think that's what it means. The most perfect, complete, concentrated display of God that we have ever experienced is in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So that's the first thing. Jesus displayed God in an exclusive way. Second, Jesus displayed God graciously. Look at verse 14. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The reason Moses could not look on God and live is because God is holy, and Moses, like all men, was sinful. So God stated it clearly back in Exodus 33:20. Man shall not look on me and live. And verse 18 of our text says that too. No one has ever seen God. No one has ever seen God because no one can. No sinful person can see God. Man shall not look on him and live. The full, glorious revelation of God would simply consume sinful man. Even Moses needed his eyes shielded from God's presence. Also, it's worthy to note that inside the tabernacle, you probably know this, there were two rooms. One was called the holy place, and one was called the most holy place, or the holy of holies. And between those two rooms, there was this thick veil that hung. And the reason for that was to shield man from seeing into the room where God would most brightly reveal his glory, his presence. The veil shielded unholy man from the presence of God. I want you to keep that in mind. Jesus revealed God full of grace, meaning that his work was aimed at displaying holy God without sinners like John and us. You and me being consumed by the bright and holy display of him. Jesus displayed God to us in a way that was full of grace. Moses had to have his eyes shielded or he would die. The tabernacle had to, had to have the veil shielding us from the holy of holies lest sinners be consumed. Jesus came to display God in grace and through his life and his death and his resurrection. He made it so that we no longer need to have our eyes shielded and we no longer needed. We no longer need to have a veil. Third, Jesus displayed God in truth. Again, look at verse 14. We have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus displayed the glory of God truly. In Him was the genuine display of God Jesus is truly God, and he truly reveals God to us. His display is fully accurate, unmixed with any error, unmixed with anything false, any sin. You and I can glorify God. We can glorify God. I I, I set out to glorify God when I follow his commandments and do what he wills, but I do it imperfectly. Jesus is a perfect display of God. So you put all that together in the word becoming flesh, the incarnation of Jesus Christ, we see the most clear, concentrated, exclusively wonderful display of God's glory ever. It is full of grace so that we're not consumed at the seeing. God in Christ has graciously, perfectly revealed himself to us. John and others beheld his glory, a glory that was full of grace and truth. Of course... All of that begs the question. Why didn't this settle the deal for us? I mean, us as in the world. Why didn't this settle the deal for mankind? Why were there so many people who looked at Jesus and yet didn't see to see, they didn't seem to see the the glory of God in display, on display in an exclusive, wonderful way, full of grace and full of truth? Many looked at what John saw, saw the same thing, saw the same person that John saw, but didn't seem to see what John says he beheld in verse 14. The bright, shining, unique display of God's glory in grace and in truth. And that is true today. Many hear all of the same things we hear. See all of the same facts we see about Jesus his miraculous birth, his signs, his wonders, his love, his wisdom, his compassion, his mercy, his sacrifice, his cross, his words on the cross, his death, even his resurrection. And it is as if they have seen nothing at all. It's all met with a meh. Life unchanged. Purpose and direction unchanged. Just meh. You know what I mean by meh? Meh. If Jesus is the unique, bright, shining revelation of God, full of grace and full of truth, why do so many look on him and say meh? I could give you an answer from the Gospel of John. I think this is one of the big themes of this Gospel. John goes there many times. He tries to demonstrate the nature of the widespread unbelief in the midst, in the face of this glorious, life changing, life giving revelation. But since those are all forthcoming in this series on John, let's instead go to how Paul explains it to us. This is from 2 Corinthians 4 3 through 6. Why is there widespread unbelief? At the sight and the news of Jesus. Here is what Paul says Even if our gospel is veiled, veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves. But Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You know that old cliche, seeing is believing? A lot of people say things like that. They say things like, Man, if I could see God, if he'd just show himself to me, I would believe. Maybe you have thought that cliche a few times in your relationship with God. Lord, if you will only show yourself to me, then I will trust you in this circumstance. I will trust you if you just... But is it true? Is seeing believing? I wonder if there's a sense in which we have it backwards. Is seeing believing or is believing seeing? When it comes to the gospel... According to Paul, believing is seeing. The reason so many looked on Christ and did not believe was not because Christ imperfectly displayed God's glory. It's it's not because He didn't, he, He did it in such a way that it could not be clearly seen. John in his gospel, as we will see, goes on to powerfully make the case that Christ perfectly displayed God's glory. The blind will see, the lame will walk, the leper will be made clean, the dead will rise. Jesus himself will die on a cross and rise again from the grave. In him is the brightest, most perfect display of God's glory. That's what he means when he says in our passage, we beheld his glory, we beheld it, we saw it full of grace and truth. It's a summary of what this gospel will show. We beheld beheld his glory. The reason why so many see Christ and don't believe is because in their unbelief, the God of this age has veiled their eyes from seeing. The gospel remains veiled because the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So many in the gospel of John will see Jesus. And instead of trusting him, instead of marveling at his grace and his truth and his glory, instead of following him, instead of worshiping him, they will scorn. And they will do so because believing is seeing And because unbelief is blindness. Friends, I hope that you see this morning. I hope you are not confronted with the glory of Christ and the light of his gospel. His display of God's glory that is full of grace and truth. And instead of believing and worshiping and trusting and following, you say meh. You stay in that meh disposition. I pray that you don't go on life living it like you always have. Instead of trusting, instead of marveling, instead of following, instead of worshiping, you stay blind. I pray that you will see. Because you know what happens when you see? You know what happens when you see? Look at verse 16. The glory, the glory of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth, and from His fullness, we have all, all who see with eyes of faith, received grace upon grace. What happens when you see? You receive grace upon grace. I really wrestled with that phrase, grace upon grace. What does that mean? My daughter visited my office this week while I was working on my sermon, and she asked me, what my sermon title was. She's in my office and asked me what my sermon title was this coming Sunday. And so I told her, I didn't know what she wanted to know, but she wanted to know. And so I told her, I said, I plan to call it Grace Upon Grace. I think that's the title I stayed with. She's studying Latin. And one way that she likes to practice is by hearing things and translating it. And so she wrote on my whiteboard, gratia super gratia, gratia super gratia, which I had to look up. No, I didn't, but it, that's a way of translating grace upon grace. Gratia, super gratia. And it got me thinking, does John mean super grace? I must changed the title of my sermon to super grace. Is the life and the work and the death and the resurrection the superman of grace? And I don't mean that in a cheesy way. Is this grace that supersedes grace? all other grace that has been shown before. Is that what this means? Yes, that's what this, this means. The key to understanding the phrase grace upon grace is to look at how he supports it in verse 17. John says, For, there's a the connecting word, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Somehow, the contrast between Moses and Jesus is the key to understanding how Jesus' grace is super grace. Here's how I think it works. John knows that there is a very real sense in which the law of God was a display of God's grace. God did graciously reveal himself in his law. Moses was a recipient of God's grace. Remember, that's exactly what God said to him in Exodus thirty-three, nineteen. 19, the verse I read. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. God was gracious to Moses. His revelation was gracious. Moses did not deserve, here's the point, Moses did not deserve to see God's glory. But God chose to show him grace. And he revealed himself in a veiled way to Moses. The tabernacle was God's grace to his people. They didn't deserve to have God dwelling among them. They did not deserve to have God there to see his glory, to see the cloud, to see the pillar of fire. They didn't deserve that any more than you or I deserve it. But God will be gracious to whom he will be gracious And he chose the tabernacle among Israel in the wilderness to reveal himself to them in that veiled and limited way. And that all points to Jesus. In Jesus, God has demonstrated more grace. That was all a picture. This is the substance. The revelation we see in Christ is grace upon all of that other grace. Grace that supersedes all the prior grace that God has shown to his people in the law, in the tabernacle, and in his gracious revelation to Moses. In Christ, God has shown grace upon grace. The grace that we are shown in Christ is super grace. It is above. It is beyond. It is built upon all the grace that God has shown man throughout all of human history. All of that grace points to this grace. Look at verse 18. God has revealed himself to us in Christ. It says, no one has ever seen God. No one. Moses had his eyes covered. The veil was there in the tabernacle. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known to us. Now, one final question that I think we should answer as we wrap this up. If this is true, why aren't we consumed at the revelation of God when we, that we see in Jesus? If Jesus is the most perfect display of God, the brightest shining, shining light of God's glory, why are we not consumed in that light? Why are we not consumed at the revelation of God that we see in Jesus When Jesus cried out on the cross, he's hanging there on the cross, he's about to yield up his spirit, he said, it is finished, and he died. And lots of crazy things happened in those moments. The sky was dark, there were earthquakes, one gospel records that tombs were opened and some people came back to life. Crazy. Amazing things happened when the Son of God died on the cross as a sacrifice, as an atoning sacrifice for God's people. Crazy things happened. But one of the most amazing things that happened on that day was that thick veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place was torn from the top to the bottom. And friends, that was a picture for us. God in Christ by his death and his resurrection has removed the need to veil our eyes. Because in him we're made holy. In him we're made right. That's the very gospel. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have beheld His glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In Christ, John beheld His glory. In Christ, in His grace upon grace, work on the cross. In His gospel, we behold His glory. What will that stir up in your hearts this morning? For some, sadly... Nothing. Some can see all of that in his word, hear all of that spoken, and still say, meh. Oh, I pray that for you it is not that way. I pray that you will, perhaps even for the first time, by God's grace, look with eyes of faith to Jesus Christ, that you would believe this wonderful, immeasurable, super grace revelation of God. Should never be met with boredom. It should be met with the marveling and with worship and with faith. That's what it should stir up in my heart, your heart. Worship and faith. Oh, how we should trust Him with everything. In light of this, we should trust Him with everything our lives, our families, our hard things, our future, our eternity. This revelation should be met with faith and with marveling and with worship. And with a resolve to follow Jesus wherever he leads. Is that what the super grace of God in Christ stirs up in your heart? Oh, I pray that it is so. Let's pray. Father, you're amazing. Your grace is wonderful. It is sublime. It surpasses everything. And Lord, I pray that it would stir It would stir our hearts up with praise and with devotion and with faith. Oh, I I pray again, let no one be blind in this room today. By your grace, show them your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In response to the word, we want to sing of this amazing grace that we have seen revealed to us in Christ Jesus. I ask that if you're able,